So we're going to talk today about uh, the Great Commission that God has given the church and uh, your role in it, your particular role. In uh, Matthew 28, uh, Jesus, just before he departed this earth, he gave the disciples, and hence us, uh, we are disciples of Jesus Christ as well, uh, a job to do. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus made it very clear that he's in charge. All power and authority is his as we go about this great commission, this job of sharing the gospel with other people. We know that as Christians, we are people who have come to hear the gospel and respond to it. This story about God the Father sending his son Jesus Christ to this earth to become fully human as, as well as fully God. He lived a perfect life and then went to the cross to die on the cross, not for anything he did to deserve it, but to pay the penalty that we all owe because of our sins. We know that uh, the wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. So we had the opportunity upon responding to the gospel of accepting Jesus Christ as our personal savior. And now instead of a penalty of death, we have, the penalty, we have the reward of eternal life guaranteed to us. So this is good news that God now wants us to share with the world. Our lives, each of us, our lives are made up of a series of relationships with other people. We have family relationships, marriage relationships, we have co-worker relationships where we work, we have friends at school, uh, we have friends in the neighborhood, no matter what organization we belong to, we have acquaintances and friends. Our lives are a series of relationships. Some are short-term relationships, you bump into somebody in the store. Some are long-term relationships, lifelong relationships. God gives us a mandate as Christians to represent Jesus in a proper way to every person we come in contact with. Now that's part of the Great Commission. That's where it starts. Relationships with people and how we present ourselves. We are to live the gospel and we are to share the gospel whenever possible. So the Great Commission was given to all members, not just to the ministry. So I'm speaking to all of us individually here in our role in it. Now in Colossians, We'll look at chapter 4, the epistle of Paul to the church at Colossae. And notice what he says here with regard to how we approach people, especially people who are not Christians. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 5. He says here, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, non-Christians, unsaved people, if you will. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer everyone. So in other words, being a Christian, you now have a God-given responsibility in how you approach other people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to stand on a pedestal someplace and condemn people for their sins or, or, or you know, shove our religion in their face. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that your style of life should be different so that people recognize that about you, that there's something different about you. There's something hopefully good about you that they would desire maybe to emulate or, or to know more about why you are the way you are or to behave wisely toward non-Christians. Now you might say, Pastor John, how do I know who's a Christian and who isn't? As I go out there in the world and in the, the, the neighborhood and in society, what I try to do is I try to approach everybody as if they're not a Christian. Now, if they are, that's wonderful. And if I find that out, that's a, that's a blessing. That's a bonus, okay? And, and I'll have a special way of relating to them, knowing that they're a Christian as well. But when I first meet somebody or first approach somebody, I always t t tend to treat them like they're not a Christian. And, you know, God will make it clear as time goes by. And as we, we meet people and as we bump into people, life is a series of, in some cases, never to be repeated opportunities to live and share the gospel. Every hour of your life brings a situation with another person that can be redeemed or lost. How do you make the most of every opportunity? Well, as he said right here, some things to consider. In Colossians 4, he says in verse 5, here's, here's three things I'd like you to consider. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Wise behavior. Always be alert, no matter where you are, with people you come in contact with. Now, we just went through a very difficult time with the whole COVID thing, didn't we? Where everybody was wearing masks. Uh, you know, I, I try to be Christian in whatever I do, and I always try to be pleasant and smile at people. I go to Walmart, I go to Giant Eagle, you know, I'm talking to the cashiers, I'm talking to whoever. I try to smile and be pleasant. When you're wearing a mask, does it really matter? <laughs> I got into the lazy habit of not smiling at people and probably not being pleasant. Because if I did smile, they couldn't see the smile because I was wearing a mask. And if I tried to say something encouraging or pleasant to them, they couldn't hear me or understand me because I had the stupid mask on. So I got lazy and I repent for that. You know, I, I, I got off guard. We want to always give people the impression that you're approachable. You want to be friendly toward people. And if you do the approaching to somebody else, you shouldn't be scary or threatening. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples, okay? Some of the places I hang out. I'm a senior, okay? So I hang out at Walmart. I, like I said, Giant Eagle. And from time to time, you see people who seem to be in trouble or need help. You know, I remember a, a few months ago going through Walmart and the clothing section. There was a guy my age kind of standing by himself in the midst of all these clothing racks. And he looked kind of confused and he looked uh, a little troubled. And you know, I, I'm pushing my shopping cart and I'm, I'm just glancing at the guy and I gave him a second look thinking, I wonder if he's okay. So I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna wheel my cart over there and go over and say hi and see how he's doing. 
And you know how it is sometimes with seniors, they get confused or maybe it's their medication and they, they don't know where they are. So I just started a conversation with him and it turned out he was okay. I don't know if he was just real shy or, or what, but I just felt impelled to go over there and say something to him or see if I could help, do whatever I could. And I tried to do it in a pleasant way. I smiled at him, I didn't want to be threatening and it turned out to be okay. You know, there are other times where you see somebody maybe sitting on a bench by the pharmacy over there and maybe they're crying or troubled. I've seen people in the parking lot looking for their cars. They're, they can't find their cars and they're all upset. A whole range of things. <clears throat> this is from a senior's perspective. You as a student, you might be in, in school in the cafeteria and see one of your fellow students sitting there by themselves upset or crying. And as a Christian, you want to go over there and sit down say, hey, is everything okay? Anything I can do to help? That's the way we should be as Christians. That's the way Jesus was. And that's the way we should be. So wise behavior. Be approachable. If you do the approaching, don't be scary or threatening. Notice here in Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul talks a little bit about what this wise behavior toward the unsaved looks like. Since we're Christians, you know, our sins are forgiven, we're living by God's grace, <clears throat> let's act like it. He says in Colossians 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who we are, holy, we're not holy because of ourselves, we're holy because of Jesus, and dearly loved, we are dearly loved by God through Jesus Christ, clothe yourself with compassion. We should be compassionate people toward others. You know, when, when somebody is troubled or lost in the middle of a crowd there and everybody's kind of walking around them, we should be the ones to stop and say, hey, you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wow, that's, that's a good list to live by. That's the kind of people we should be. That's the kind of people God is making us to be bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity he goes on to say let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body the church you were called to peace and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, where are you going to learn that kind of instruction in this society? <laughs> you're not learning this at school. You're not learning this at work. You're not learning this in other organizations you're learning it here at church because you're Christians. And this is the life we've been called to live, an outgoing concern for other people. So this is the wise behavior. Act wisely amongst non-Christians. But he went on to say back here in Colossians, the, the next thing that he mentioned in uh, Colossians 4, verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Secondly, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So when we do converse with people, 
out there, people who perhaps are not Christians, we should have salty speech. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean like pirates talk, you know, and with all kinds of foul language. What we say about Jesus and about our Christian life should make, an, make it as appetizing as possible. You know, we put salt on our food to make it appetizing. We add salt to our speech. Uh, you know, when food isn't salted, it tastes bland. People don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. Our speech should not be unappetizing. Our speech should be appetizing. We should reflect Jesus Christ. We should reflect our life in the church as something that is desirable. That's something that has helped us in our life, something that has blessed us and benefited us. Because people are out there looking for answers to their problems. And when we present ourselves in the right way and present Jesus Christ in the right way as a solution to problems, as a help for problems, it should, want, it should cause people to want a desire to know more, okay? So our speech should be salty. Notice the way Jesus uh, portrayed himself. Uh, John 4, verse 14. John 4 and verse 14. He was at a, a feast having to do with uh, a water ceremony. And he says in John 4, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, be, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoa, what's that all about? That sounds great. To drink this water that he's talking about and never be thirsty again? People wanted to know more. So that's what it means to have salty speech. Speech seasoned with salt. To present yourself, to present what you believe in, to present God, to present his son Jesus Christ as something to be desired and sought after. You know, you don't talk about uh, Christianity as something that's boring or humble, oh, I gotta go to church again this Sunday, you know, and it's, it's, so, it's such a drag, it's so boring. No, I get to go to church this Sunday because I'm learning more about what God wants for me and how he's changing me. So how can you develop the ability to speak about Jesus, about Christianity, about your church, so that there's an appetizing flavor to it? Well, the way we do that is by reminding ourselves why the gospel tastes good to us. It's hard to salt your speech with tastiness of the gospel when you haven't been enjoying the taste yourself. So we need to think about, we need to pray about what a blessing the gospel has been to us, salvation through Jesus Christ. And then you're ready to share it with others when the opportunity comes about. But he also said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So each and every opportunity is important. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So the third aspect of this is individual attention. You never know when you wake up in the morning what opportunities God's going to provide for you throughout that day. We need to be ready to take advantage of every single one that comes along. Some may be short. You know, like I said, you bump into somebody 
you know, you have a chance to say hi or, or just talk briefly. Others are long-term relationships. We should know how to answer everyone. Each person is different and each situation is different. Now the gospel is the same and Jesus is the same, but there are countless ways to serve the meal with the salt on it that we're gonna serve. We need wisdom how to serve and wisdom how to season it. Turn with me to Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. He's talking about this uh, individual approach to each, each person you come in contact with. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So one approach that works for one person may not work for another. You may treat a stranger differently than you treat a member of your family. But each individual needs to be encouraged by the gospel in a way that meets their own particular needs. So this is what it means to walk wisely with unbelievers. You never know. Your contact with a certain person may be the only contact they have with a true Christian in their life. So you need to be prepared. I've said many times when we wake up in the morning, we need to ask God, whatever you have in store for me today, help me to be ready, help me to be alert, and to take advantage of every opportunity. Always be concerned about people. Certainly we need to t take the proper precautions in this day and age, but we also need to have a certain amount of boldness in approaching people. If you see somebody who seems to be troubled or somebody who seems to be, need help, you know, offer whatever services you can, but be approachable as well. And when you do, always represent Jesus Christ in the proper way, showing concern for others. I want to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to another section where Paul talks about his particular approach. Now, Paul was very effective, the Apostle Paul was very effective in preaching the gospel and winning people to, to salvation, winning people to Jesus Christ. And this passage here talks a little bit about his philosophy or his uh, mental preparedness in doing this. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. Now we know the Apostle Paul was a strong Jewish individual. He was raised in the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee. He was trained uh, according to the Old Testament. But once he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he became a Christian and his whole life changed radically. He says in verse 19, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Now think about what he's saying in relation to you and your approach to people you come in contact with either people that you have ongoing relationships with or maybe strangers that you meet from time to time. He says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. So that should be our outlook and our goal, to win as many as possible to Jesus Christ, to live the gospel, to share the gospel when possible. Why? 
to point people who need help to Jesus Christ as the solution to their problems. He says in verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So in other words, Paul's approach was to change things about himself that weren't important, that weren't necessary, for the sake of being able to get across to people, to help people who were in need, who needed spiritual help, who needed spiritual salvation, who needed encouragement, who may have needed a little love to be shown to them in their lives. Now this doesn't mean, when Paul says, I became all things to all people, this doesn't mean that Paul ever compromised God's moral standards to fit in with the world. It means he was willing to forego traditions, his own personal philosophies or beliefs, familiar comforts, in order to reach any audience. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it about us that may be a stumbling block to reaching other people with the gospel and the, and the message for Christ? Well, there are several different things in our society that I think that we can consider. But let me list a few things that we need to do to become all things to all people. Now, the first thing I'd like to talk about is listening to others. When you meet somebody or when you are in a relationship with somebody, it's important that we spend a lot of time listening to them. You know, uh, like I talked about bumping into these people at, at Walmart who seem to need help. The first thing I wanted to ask them was, are you okay? Do you need any help? You know, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's troubling you and listen to them. Just listen to them. We're often too eager to share our own thoughts and solve people's problems for them instead of pointing them to Jesus Christ for help. One common mistake is to jump into a conversation before we really hear what the other person is saying. You know, we all appreciate being heard. When we extend that courtesy to someone else, he or she is more likely to listen to what we have to say in response to them when we point them to Jesus. By listening first, the other person becomes an individual that we care about rather than simply a mission field to convert. Now this starts at home, you know, husband and wife. How many times do we want to do the talking instead of listening to the concerns and cares of our mate? We need to listen. We need to do this for our children. We need to do this with people that we work with. We need to listen. That makes a, a great impression when somebody sits down and actually wants to listen to what you have to say. You know, as, as a pastor over the years, I've always considered myself a problem solver, which I never should have done. You know, the super pastor, you know, sit down with somebody and before they're even finished telling me what their cares and concerns are, I'm telling them what they need to do. 
to fix their problems, to solve their situation. And I had to come to the point where I, you know, stick a piece of duct tape over my mouth, shut up, and just listen. Listen to the person. And over the years, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I I know people have gone away thinking, this guy's telling me what to do, and he he didn't even listen to what the problem is. It says in James chapter 1, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if we care for people, if we truly care the way God wants us to, if we want to take advantage of every opportunity we may have to share the gospel with somebody else, we need to first listen. Where where they are in their life, what's troubling them, what their problems are. So listening is first. Secondly is prayer. We need to prepare with prayer every day. You don't know what the day holds for you, as I said. So you want to pray. It's a good thing when you first wake up in the morning. You know, your eyes open up, you're in bed, and you think, thanks God for another day. I don't know what's going to happen today, (laughs) but I just ask whatever I face that you're there with me, and if I can be of some help, in living the gospel as an example to somebody else or sharing the gospel, please help me to do that. I can't do that on my own, but with your help, I can do that. You know, another thing to consider with prayer, scripture, I think in the King James Version says, we should be instant in prayer, instant in prayer. And one of the best things to do as you interact with other people, even people who are not Christians, is When they present a situation to you, you know, in conversation, they talk about the terrible trial they're going through or uh, the pain they're in, is to just go ahead and pray. One of the best things that we can do is instantly say, hey, I'd like to pray for you. And just take a few moments and and offer a prayer. I've got some friends here, you know, we didn't always do that in the history of our denomination. We weren't instant in prayer. But over the past many years in the area here, I get to hang out with some uh, uh, Pentecostal pastors, Assemblies of God. And they've taught me a lot. And they're really good at doing this, being instant in prayer. And just saying, you know, as you're talking to them and, and ta- telling about w- what problems you're going through, they say, hey, you know what, let me pray for you right now. And they'll just maybe put his his hand on your shoulder and and say a prayer. Lord, my brother just shared with me this trial he's going through, and we want to pray for your help in this. And, and, you know, I thought, what a wonderful approach. Why haven't I been doing that all these years? And I've tried to be doing it more and more, even over the phone and talking to people. And uh, you know what? When I offer to pray for somebody, nobody has ever turned me down. If I say, can I pray for you? They'll say, I guess, okay. (laughs) They've never had anybody pray for them like that before. But that's one of the things that we could do to actually take this person to the very throne of God in prayer. And that is a wonderful thing to do. You are taking them right to God. And, And maybe they haven't even thought of praying for something or they don't feel worthy somehow to approach God. 
But here you are in your prayer, taking them right there, showing them that the way is open, that they can do the same thing too. They can pray to God anytime. It shows you care, it shows you're concerned, and it shows that you're not the, the answer to their problems, God is. So it's very important. I, I encourage you to do that whenever possible. You know, if you go to visit somebody in the hospital, go ahead and pray. Say, oh, you know, how you doing? You got these aches and pains? You know what? I'm going to say a prayer for you right now. It doesn't have to be, you know, long. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, real wordy with fancy words. You don't have to speak in King James English, but just make it sincere. So prepare with prayer and be instant in prayer in helping other people. Thirdly, be sensitive to what the person is feeling. Try to find out as you talk to them where their relationship with God is. And, uh, you know, Pastor Oren Telford had an approach, has, still has an approach. Many of you know him. And he shared this in sermons. Uh, he talks to people sometimes who are atheists. Uh, they don't believe in God. And what would you do if somebody says to you, well, I'm an atheist. And, oh, okay. Well, conversation's over. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just drop it right there. No, he would come back and say, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And I thought, wow. What an interesting question. So he's trying to find out why they don't believe in God. What is it about God that makes you not want to believe? And a lot of times they would share a story, maybe from their earlier life, where they felt God let them down, they felt they prayed for something and God didn't answer the way they wanted, or somebody died or somebody got really sick, and they, they held it against God all their life, and they still do. And now they claim to be atheists because of this. Well, see, that gives you some insight as to maybe what you can say to the person and tell them how God really is. And, you know, God's always has our best interest at heart. Prayers may not always be answered in the way we would want, but he always answers the prayers in the way that's best. And he knows what's best for us. And we may not agree with that in the, in the, the short term. Hopefully we see it in the long term. But be sensitive to what the person is feeling. Now, we're not master counselors. Most of us don't have degrees in counseling. But we can offer encouragement, and we can share God's love with them as well. A fourth thing we need to consider, too, and I touched on this earlier, is we need to deal with our own prejudice. That has to be an ongoing thing with us. Sometimes prejudice is a, a wall between us and other people, especially if the other person is different from you. If you're a young person and you see an older person sitting there, you may not feel comfortable talking to an older person. There's a generation gap there. And vice versa, if, if an older person like myself, a senior, sees a very young person sitting there, you know, I may not feel, well, I'm not cut out for this. I don't know the lingo. You know, I don't know the, the right words to say. Uh, I can't relate. We need to repent of those attitudes. Because as Paul was, all things to all people. We can relate to anybody. There are other barriers that we build. In our society today, how about politics? Wow, that's a big barrier. 
you know, sometimes people feel, well, if that person is of the opposite political party, forget it. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. I've written them off. We've got to repent of that. We've got to deal with our own prejudice. We need to ask God to forgive us for building walls rather than building bridges. We as Christians are bridge builders, not wall builders. So, you know, there are racial divides in our country today. There are ethnic divides in our country today, political divides, so on and so forth. We need to put aside things that are not important for the sake of the gospel. So we need to take our own personal inventory and ask, you know, what is important to us today and what should really be important? The most important thing is the commission that God has given us, being all things to all people, being able to act wisely toward those who are not Christians with the hope that some will be called. You know, for each day that we live, we're one day closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. God's desire is that all respond to the gospel. And we're instrumental as his people. We're his hands and feet on this earth right now, making the contacts. And I think in a lot of the contacts that we have in relationships are God-ordained relationships. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the place that you work, I wonder if you got that job because God wanted you there not necessarily for the pay or, for, or even for the work itself that you're doing, but for the relationships that he's provided for you on that job. The people who observe you every day as a Christian. And I know that in a lot of cases, when somebody finds out that you're a Christian, they look at you negatively or judge you. Okay, let's see what the Christian's going to do today. <laughs> you know, keep your eye on, on him or her. And, and, and they, they love to see it if you step out of line a little bit so that they, they can criticize you. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're supposed to be a Christian, but I heard you say that word. Or I saw that look you gave that person. We're open for judgment as Christians in this society. But, yeah, that goes along with the turf. When you're a Christian, there are going to be people who are going to watch you. And hopefully they're seeing good things. Hopefully they're seeing good things. Hopefully they're being impressed, not in you, but in God who is in you. I've said many times, the people at where my wife works noticed right away that my wife never uses bad language, which is a good thing. <laughs> and they notice that. And, you know, if some, one of the workers says, you know, uses the wrong word or curse word, they'll go, oh, shit, Mary's over there. Don't, don't say that. And Mary hates it when they do that. But Mary sets a steadfast example of not using any bad language, not lying. There have been times where her boss has asked her to lie, and she refused. So they know that about her. They know that she's a Christian, and she doesn't do it in a self-righteous way or in a judgmental way toward the other workers. She just sets that example on a regular basis. And people can see what a Christian is like and what a Christian is supposed to be like. And I don't want to put the spotlight on her because she hates it when I do that. But we should all be like that. People should notice that we are different. Different in a good way. The goal of the Christian is to be inoffensive in every way except in the matter of the cross. 
So if it ever comes to the point in your conversation with somebody else where they inquire, what is it about you? Why are you the way you are? Well, I'm a Christian. And I try to live the way God teaches me to live. For some people, the message of the cross itself can be offensive because it goes against human pride. When you, know, you explain to somebody that, well, there came a point in my life where I had to repent of my sins and accept Jesus as my savior. A lot of people don't think that they need a savior. They don't think that they're bad at all, that they're sinners. They always compare themselves to others and say, you know, I might have my shortcomings, but I'm not as bad as they are. So they don't need a savior. They don't need to believe in God. So the message of the cross can be a stumbling block to people. We need to strive to follow Paul's example, especially, and become all things to all people. We must be willing to humble ourselves, let go of our rights, meet people where they are, do whatever Jesus calls us to do. He died to save them, just as he died to save us. And we must love them enough to tell them that truth, the gospel, in ways that they can understand. God wants to use you personally to help fulfill the great commission he has given the church. We have to make ourselves available to him on a daily basis. And one final scripture in John 4, verse 35. John 4, verse 35. Jesus said, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. There are people out there right now who are hurting, who are searching for answers in their lives, who are not finding any. They're turning to other things in their life that they think are going to provide solutions for them, but they're not. Addictions, drug use, gambling, sex, whatever the case may be. Uh, we found the real answer, and God wants us to share that answer with them. He says in verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So seeds have been planted, God has been doing the planting in people's lives. Not everybody you bump into is gonna respond. Some are gonna be critical, some are gonna to totally ignore you, but we still need to do our part in approaching other people when we can. You know, Jesus was ignored. Jesus was rejected in his ministry here on earth. And he said, if they rejected me, they're going to reject you too. But there are going to be some. You know, in your life, if there is only one person who somehow responds to you and to your example and comes along to salvation, man, that's something that you're going to rejoice in for all eternity. So this is what God has given us to do. It's not just a matter of enjoying our own salvation and waiting for Jesus to return, he's given us a job to do. And the parable says that when he returns, he wants to find us doing the job he has given us to do. So we can do it with God's help. We can't do it on our own. So we need to stay in contact with him. We need to pray and ask him for opportunities. And he's going to make the connections for you. You've already got connections in your life, but there are still others that he wants to connect you with. Make sure that you approach people wisely with the job that God has given you to do and that you make yourself uh, approachable. And God will do wonderful things through you. 
And even though you don't realize it, people are being affected every day by your positive example, your Christ-like example. So never let up. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this commission you've given not just the church, but each of us individually. And help us to take it seriously. Help us to know that once we have taken on this gentle yoke that you've provided for us, that we have a job to do. And uh, there are people out there who need to hear the gospel, people who need to see someone living the gospel on a daily basis. So help us to do that. Give us the right attitude. Help us not to get discouraged, but to be relentless in leading a Christ-like example on this earth. We will make mistakes. We'll repent for those. But Father, we just pray that our efforts, your efforts through us, will prove suitable and will be productive. So, Father, thank you for this wonderful calling you've given us. Uh, We depend on you every day. We love you, and uh, we pray your blessing on our entire congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.